Um, good morning. My name is Jordan, and I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And it's already been an awesome morning here today, hasn't it? Uh, just seeing people get baptized, seeing people uh, declare their faith in Christ, it just makes me excited. Um, one thing that Luke didn't tell you, the, the last gentleman who was baptized, was that he'd recently actually been involved in a, in a, fairly, in a very serious uh, snowmobile accident. And so for him, getting in the tub today was just an act of bravery. And, I, and, 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 and believe me, I did offer that if he wanted to, he could actually sit in there for the life lesson if he felt like it, right? He, he chose not to take it up on me, but wouldn't that have been awesome? Just, just kind of sitting back with the feet up, right? If he fell asleep, then I'd feel bad. But, you know, other than that, it'd been a great time. But um, it's my pleasure, uh, really, just to open up the scriptures to us today and uh, share some teaching um, of Jesus in the form of stories, which we call parables. And so last week, Pastor Jordan Michalski um, talked about the parable of the sower. And he talked about the four paths that a person can, can walk down where seed is planted. And he talked about, you know, the footpath where... Uh, the seed comes and it's just not understood and it goes away. He talked about the rocky path where the seed's sown and it just, when persecution comes, it just, it, 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 it withers. Um, he talked about the thorny path where the wealth and worries uh, choke out the seed and uh, the things of life take you from the word of God having an effect in your life. But he also talked about the good soil and uh, the seed that was, that was planted in good soil bore great fruit and uh, a great harvest. And so he talked a bit about apathy, and he, he, he challenged us to identify what field we were and to pray to the Lord that the Lord would change our heart wherever we're at. And so this week, we're going to continue down these uh, stories that Jesus told. Um, in a lot of ways, these two stories complement one another, and we see similar themes in each of them. But this, this week, we're going to look at the second parable Jesus told of what we call the farming or agricultural stories that he shared. And this one's called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And I'm just... Looking forward to us uh, reading this, going down this this morning, and really just drawing out some truths that maybe perhaps um, would be practical for us today. And so let's read the scriptures. Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can open it or your phone, or you can follow with us on the screens as well. Here's the story. Jesus told them another parable. And he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And so Jesus is telling them a story. He's talking about the present reality of the kingdom. And they're a little bit confused. They're not 100% sure what he's meaning here. Maybe that's the same with us. And so let's continue. And then when, when he left the crowd and went into the house, his disciples came to him, and they said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered this way. He said, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Their harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. 
As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out his kingdom of everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And so recently, you've probably heard on the video weekly that I've been teaching a school of ministry class on a study through the Gospels. And because of that, um, what I've done a lot in my study and in my preparation is it's kind of kept me um, looking at the context and the background of the original audience um, of the Gospels. Because where they were in life, what their situations were, what their world was like is very different than what we find ourselves in today. And so part of this class has, to be, has been to go back into the scriptures and to begin to un, uh, really um, dig out the original meaning and what the scriptures meant to a culture in those times and what it, why it was important to them. And so no more is it appropriate that we start there when we look at this story in which Jesus is sharing with the people of his day. And so he's telling them a story, and it's, it's in the form of a parable. And so a parable is a short story that uses familiar events to illustrate a religious or an ethical point. A uh, parable means to place beside and to look and see. Uh, Jesus has given them a picture uh, to describe a spiritual truth in this story. Um, I'll ask the question, have you ever been expecting something and been let down uh, when it doesn't work out or it isn't what you'd hoped for? I'll, I'll, I'll explain the picture in a minute. But have you, ever been, have you ever had expectations about something? Anyone here? Ever been expecting something? Ever been just like, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is going to happen. I'm waiting for it, and it's going to be great when it does. And then the time rolls around, and it doesn't work out. Has anyone ever felt that way before? Of course you have. Of course we all have. You see, this could be like small and trivial things, like an anticipating a, a movie or something, only to have it being a disappointment. Or wanting to do something outdoors, only to have the weather cancel it. For some of us, it's maybe that job that you were excited for that didn't work out so well. Or the course you enrolled in that you're sitting there literally one month after enrolling in thinking, what was I thinking? Like, right, you're writing notes on a piece of paper, um, wondering what you're doing there. Or maybe it was that bonus that you thought was coming, and that was in that picture that I showed there just recently. You know, sorry, Christmas is still fresh with me. So Christmas vacation is still on my mind. But I think we've all experienced moments in life where we expected something and received something that was the opposite of what we expected. And it leaves us with this lingering feeling of dissatisfaction. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we're let down. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we even feel betrayed. We feel forgotten about. Ever been there? Ever had that moment? You see, Jesus here in this story has gathered a large crowd. In fact, the crowd was so big that he had to go out into the water into a boat to teach because there were so many people uh, gathering around him, which, you know, really, I probably should just talk in the middle of the tub today um, just to be appropriate with the scripture. But he was teaching people who had certain expectations about what God or what Messiah was going to do. These people had been kicked around for many years, and currently, while he's telling this story, they were under oppression themselves, and their land was very valuable, and they had been conquered many times by many different nations, and now by the Romans. They were kicked to the edges, they were crushed, and they were oppressed people. And deep in their story, they had hope. Because for them, their prophet, the prophets had said, it won't be like this forever. At some point, God is going to act decisively on our behalf. 
And no longer are the enemies going to crush us, humiliate us, shame us, take us over. At some point, God is going to show up and it's going to be on, if you get what I'm saying, right? There's going to be a, a time when God makes things right. And at some point, God is going to act decisively on behalf of the people. And on behalf of the bad people. You see, the, the evil people, the wicked oppressors in this story are going to be dealt with decisively. And we're going to be raised to our proper place, living in our land, kings in our own land. This would have been the thought of many of what they would have expected from the Messiah as they were anticipating him. And their ancestors had used very specific images and metaphors to describe what the decisive thing was and what this thing that God was going to do was when God vanquished their enemies. You see, in the book of Isaiah, and the book of Jeremiah, throughout the Psalms, we, we hear this language that um, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and they'll eat, their fr they'll eat the fruit of the vineyard and it'll be very fruitful. Uh, Jeremiah talked about how God is going to uproot the old crop and how God is going to plant a new crop. The Psalms talk about the days are coming when I will plant the house of Judah, the house of Israel, and we will see flourishing happening. And so this language of crops, this language of seeds, was a central way that they talked about this new thing that they thought God was going to do. And so this would have been somewhat familiar to them. And so when Jesus comes along, and Jesus at this point has authority... And he starts telling stories that involve seeds and crops and fields. Can you see how the crowd may have stopped and been like, hey, 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 this could be it. This could be it. It could be on, right? God could be about to do the big decisive thing that we think God's going to do for us. You know, God is about to do it. He's about to take down our enemies. You see, the people expected God to come like Moses or like Judah Maccabees, um, two people in their histories who won great victories for their nation. In fact, there's a passage in the book of John, in John chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15, that says that they intended to come and make him king by force. If I could just get that on the screen. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, he had just done a big miracle. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so when Jesus tells stories about a coming kingdom and there are seeds and crops, some people in the crowd that day might have been thinking to themselves, yes, 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 it's going to happen. It's on. It's going to happen. And when Jesus tells them a story of what living as kingdom people is like, and it is not what they had necessarily expected to hear, some likely thought to themselves, well, what kind of kingdom is that? That's not God showing up and taking care of the bad guys for us. But this is about a kingdom about planting seeds and wanting to see if they'll grow. And it wasn't necessarily the kingdom that people were probably expecting in that moment. You see, the kingdom that Jesus spoke of wasn't the kingdom that the crowds were anticipating that day. Instead of God um, decisively acting in these parables, what we see is that God has patience in this story. And for those on the other end of being treated unfairly, or for those who were under oppression, the thought was likely, you know, we've had enough patience. Patience has, has gone a little too far here. Come on, God. You're supposed to show up. You're supposed to show up and do the thing that God does. But these are stories about divine patience. Instead of God dealing with injustice, God actually says we're going to wait. And he waits. 
And can you imagine if the objections probably for sure would have came in? They probably would have been thinking, but you're supposed to pull up the weeds. That's what you're supposed to do. Can we pull them up? And they even offered, can we pull up the weeds for you? That, that, this is what you're supposed to do. And God answers, not now, but just let them grow together for a season. Let them grow side by side for a while. I will, I will, God says, take care of it later. And by the way, that's not your problem. So stay in your own lane and let them grow together and trust me because this will be taken care of later. You see, instead of God getting the immediate results that people wanted, God plants in these stories. And patience, slowness, restraint, seed, seeds, and planting, the kingdom that Jesus talks about wasn't what his disciples and the crowd were perhaps expecting that day, but it was so much greater as well than their expectations. And he said that it would be like this. He said some people are going to get this and some people aren't. Some will understand these stories and others won't understand these stories. You see, the kingdom that Jesus speaks of here is first and foremost a reality for us to experience, a reality to be experienced. And it affects our lives. It doesn't just affect our future, but it very much affects our today and how we live today. And so, some people might ask the question, how can the kingdom be present when there's still so much evil out there? Ever thought that before? I think that's a fair thought. Anyone after reading the, the morning newspaper or perhaps after watching the evening news, anyone ever immediately think to yourself, beautiful, the kingdom is here. Everything is just so peaceful in the world today, right? I probably doubt that that's our first thought when we constantly see stories of evil, hate, injustice, oppression, pain, suffering. And yet Jesus says the kingdom is still present, but you need to understand it may at present look a little different than you expected or than you'd hoped for. And we'll figure this out. We'll get to the bottom of this. You see, the kingdom is present, and yet evil is still here at the moment. It's the already, but not yet, if I could say it like that. But the parable also tells us, don't dwell on it too much, because there is a time of judgment that will be coming, and that God will make things right. And so we have hope in that today. And when the kingdom arrives, there will be a purging, and that's what the people of that day thought Kingdom arrival and elimination of evil for most people would have probably gone hand in hand. And this parable speaks to these people, speaks to that kind of culture, speaks to people who thought that way, and it almost goes, whoa, 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 wait a second here. Yes, but for now, let them grow together. And it probably wasn't the answer that people were expecting. And so let me give us a few thoughts this morning concerning this parable. Here's the first thought I have for us today. That there is tension. There is a tension between how the world is and how we want the world to be. Would you agree? All right, I see a few head nods. 
There's a tension between how the world currently is and how we want the world to be. I think most people can relate with this and agree that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. There's so much trouble. There's so much injustice. There's so much evil out there. And we read about it and we hear about it. And unfortunately, we also experience it in our daily lives and in our situations. And so the people in the story offer to pull up the weeds that the enemy planted, and their thinking is, let's get rid of them now. And it seems like a noble request. It seems like, you know, that's probably something we should do. But in the story, we get this response in verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. For now, let them grow together until harvest time. And Jesus, when he explains this parable to them, he says this. He says that the good seed stands for the children of the kingdom. He says the field represents the whole world. And the weeds represent the seed that is sown by the enemy, by the evil one. Which leads to the question, why is there weeds to begin with? Why is there evil? Why are things not as they should be? Have you ever thought that before? You ever just seen things and thought to yourself, why, why, why? Well, verse 28 actually gives us an answer to that question. When, Je- when, when Jesus says this, you want the answer to that question? An enemy did this. An enemy did this. And let me pause here for a moment just to go on a mini rant here today in the middle of this talk, right? Because I get annoyed and sometimes upset when God gets blamed, blamed for things that he did not create, that he did not say, that he did not want, okay? But when sin entered the world, it brought effects and it brought negative effects with it. And when we look at the evils of the world, our first question need not be, why God? Why God? Because God will answer our question by pointing directly to the source of evil. And we read it in his words, an enemy has done this. An enemy did this. And so it drives me crazy sometimes how sometimes well-intentioned people, when great evils occur in the world, they start rationalizing it by saying, well, God has his purposes. Or God's will is best. And you know what? Both of those statements, don't get me wrong, are true in general. But not in these situations, not in situations of evil and injustice and pain. Um, Because when it comes to evil and injustice and oppression and all those kinds of things, the long and short of it is, is that it does not start or have any source in God. But the truth is, as the story states, an enemy did this. And it's not God that wills it. In fact, God wills the opposite of evil. Amen? And so for many of us, we feel this deep in our bones and we regularly bump up against things. And it's like, oh, it's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be a different way. And for the people in this story, it might have been like, oh, the Romans aren't supposed to be doing this. God, you're supposed to be driving them out for us. There is how the world is and there is how we wish that it was. There's a tension between how the world is and how we want it to be. There's tension. And God doesn't look down on us and say, well, you know, you shouldn't have that tension because that's just immature. But you know what? God understands this tension too, better than we do. In Hebrews um, chapter 4, we read these words, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus knows this tension better than any of us because he came down to the earth and made his dwelling here and he lived among us and he walked among us and he was tempted just as we are and yet he never sinned and he saw the horrors of evil and he saw the oppression and he saw the injustice that was happening while he was here. Jesus knew what it was like to live among the wheat and the weeds that were growing together and so surely he can sympathize with us this morning. Surely he could relate with whatever we go through. You see, the kingdom that Jesus speaks of is about experiencing in the midst of that tension that we all feel every day. It's about still experiencing God's peace. It's about still experiencing God's love and his joy and his grace that cannot be taken from us even in the midst of this. But sometimes for us, that's a little bit easier said than done, I would say. You see, Jesus brings them in the midst of all cultural, personal, and political turmoil, and he speaks of a seed that's planted that grows and grows and grows. And he speaks of a reality that transcends even the circumstances that we find ourselves in, and that's the hope of the Christian faith, that at the end of the day, we have hope. The kingdom Jesus speaks of starts small, it grows slowly, it takes patience and time. And for a lot of us, we struggle with patience, we struggle with time. You know, we want God just to fix things now, fix our relationships now. We want God just to fix our finances now. And, you know, we, we want that temptation that we struggle with again and again and again. We want that taken care of right now. And in, in, in our minds, we think to ourselves, we should be all together by now. And we're, we aren't. And we say to God, where are you? And God might reply back to us, whoa, 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 whoa. This thing I'm doing, it takes time. And it takes patience. And there's no room in the kingdom to beat yourself up. The kingdom of God that he speaks, as, speaks of is always good news. Always good news. And so Jesus gathers a crowd and he profoundly disappoints them in one way. He says, I know you're looking for this, but I'm not necessarily bringing that right now. I'm bringing this and some will get it and some won't. But when it takes root, look out. Look out at what the kingdom will produce. And when he says that his kingdom is within you, it's not simply when the Romans are driven out. It's not when everything is as you wish it was. It's not when everyone gets along, you know, totally happy at the table and we have no more squabbles. But when he says that his kingdom is within you, he's meaning right now, even in the midst of all of that. Even in the midst of all of that. See, there are moments, those moments when you sense the love and presence of God, even in the midst of weeds, remember that God is always at work in your life. And he's always with you. Secondly, second point I want to share with us this morning is that waiting is difficult. Waiting is difficult. Tom Petty once sang uh, the lyric, the, the waiting is the hardest part. And I think a lot of us can agree with that. You see, waiting was difficult in the times when Jesus told this story. But how many of us think that in our culture we've made progress and we're just a patient bunch? Anyone? We're just a patient bunch, right? We never get upset. We never get annoyed, you know? We never go through the drive-thru and think, my goodness, it has been one minute and 30 seconds already. What is happening, right? We never do that, do we? Right? I was reading an article this past week in the Globe and Mail um, 
that talked about the demand for instant results and how it's, it's seeping into every corner of our lives. And some of the examples that the author used were like smartphone apps that, you know, eliminate the need to wait for a cab, a cab or a date or a table at a restaurant. Uh, movies and TV shows, they start streaming in seconds now. And if they don't, we turn them off and find something else to do. Uh, retailers are quickly jumping into same-day deliveries. That's probably something you've noticed lately. Uh, when you go to order something, that same-day delivery is on the rise. In fact, Amazon Prime, anyone? Hey, 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 I know you got it. I know you got it. <laughs> Tapped into this when they launched their delivery service that guarantees a product within two days. And not only did they launch a service like this, but people will actually pay a yearly subscription to have it, right? And, and, and while we get things quicker and easier, what this does is it creates a need for instant gratification. And what we lose in that process is the art of waiting, the art of patience. I was reading a study in that same article, the University of Massachusetts, oh, I didn't pronounce that right, Amherst, a public research university, thanks for the grace, love you guys, had a computer science professor. His name was, this is going to be tough too, his name was Ramesh Sitaraman, okay? Let's just say prof, okay? He was the prof. He examined in a recent study how long people will wait for a video to start up on their computer. And what he did was he examined the viewing habits of 6.7 million internet users and eventually found out that the subjects were willing to be patient for how long? for two seconds for a video to load, okay? At the end of his studies, it was two seconds they would be patient for. And, and not only that, after five seconds, the, the abandonment rate rose to 25%. So 25% of people, after waiting five seconds, would just abandon the process and either restart it or go somewhere else. And when you got to 10 seconds of having to wait for a video to load, he recorded that 50% of the users were gone. Isn't that crazy when you think about that? And, you know, I wish I could sit up here and be like, man, this generation, this culture, right? You know, I sit there and wait my turn when I'm waiting for a video to launch. But, you know, how many of us are probably a little guilty of this ourselves, right? It's an interesting thing. You see, the results offer a glimpse into the present, but also into the future. The peop that people in, generally, in general sorry, are less willing to really wait for anything. Uh, the professor noted, I love, this, I love this quote in his study, kind of humorously, that he worries that someday people will be too impatient to even conduct studies on patients, right? That we're going to be too impatient to even have time to conduct these kind of studies on patients. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting when you think of it, all this to say is this, that waiting for us isn't always easy. That being patient is difficult. Standing in line for coffee with people at a restaurant can tell us things about ourselves, can reveal something to us. And I wish that I could say, like I've, I've been mentioning already, that this is something I excel at, that I shine at this, but the truth is, is that I don't. And it's difficult. And I need the Holy Spirit's help here in my life. You know, that the one fruit of the Spirit, that one being patience, becomes something that I can begin to exercise and experience with his help because where, where we live does not necessarily help us get there. N.T. Wright says it like this. He said, Jesus' followers, of course, didn't want to wait. Um, if the kingdom was really present where Jesus was, coming to birth and what he was doing, then they wanted the whole thing at once. They weren't interested in God's timetable. They had one of their own, and they expected God to conform to it. Is that ever true of us? ever find ourselves in that position? 
perhaps we read this text and we say, hold on, guys, you know. God's got this covered. Just let it play out. You know, the harvest will happen. But maybe we are guilty, too, of our own impatience and what God is doing. Maybe we've got to relearn the art. Maybe we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to allow that fruit of the Spirit to become present in our lives again. Think about it like this. Patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. I read that quote last week. I liked it. Patience is not simply the ability to wait, but it's how we behave while we are waiting. Are we patient? Are we okay with waiting? And what kind of behaviors do we exhibit when we have to wait? Do we get frustrated? Do we get angry? Do we treat others poorly? How many of you honked your horn on the way to church today, right? How many yelled gas pedals on the... No, anyways, I'm not going to go there today. But waiting is difficult. And how we behave while we wait really reveals a lot about us as well. You see, as Christians, the Holy Spirit includes this thing called patience. And you can see the list of fruit there. And um, right in, right, right, right in the, the top there is patience. And our society won't ha- help us a lot if we seek to become people who wait, if we seek to become people who are patient. And so we're going to have to become intentional about this. We're going to have to become intentional about becoming people who allow that fruit to be exercised in our lives. Scripture states it's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so do we see patience in our lives? Have we opened our hearts up to it. I'm going to quote right one more time. He says, at the heart of the parable of the weeds and the weed is the note of patience, not just the patience of the servants who have, who have to wait and watch, but the patience of God himself. God didn't and doesn't enjoy the sight of a cornfield with weeds all over the place, but nor does he relish the thought of declaring harvest time too soon and destroying wheat along with weeds. And this story tells us something, not only about the character of God, but it tells us about the grace of God. Here's another thought I want to share with us this morning. We are not fit to judge. We are not fit to judge. And in verses 27 to 30, we see that the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Do you want us to take care of this for you? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Frederick Bruner, in his commentary that I was reading this past week, he talks about how one of the central doctrines of Jesus' teaching in Matthew is that there is going to be a judgment in the end. And it is for this reason that Jesus can forget sorry, can forbid our judgments and our anti-evil crusades, if you will. Jesus believes that at the end of history, there'll be a reckoning, and therefore he can deter our interim reckonings, if I could say it like that. And so we don't have to pull up the weeds. In fact, we're not qualified to do so. But Jesus is saying it is not your job to cleanse the nations, but to recognize that they are here and that we still have to do our mission that God gave us, even in the midst of all of this, and learn to live in this world, even amidst the tension that you feel. And we hear echoes of his comment that he talked about in chapter 7 of the book of Matthew, judge not or you too will be judged. You see, the word judge in the Greek language is is the Greek verb krino which means to, to judge or to consider or to separate. And the Greek word for judge is the word krino, and it's oftentimes you find in the New Testament that the same word gets many 
different uses throughout the New Testament. So the same word can mean different things depending on which context it is used. Let me give you a couple examples. In Titus chapter 3, we read, uh, Paul write this, When I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have Crino to spend, or spend the winter there. I have Crino. I've decided. I've made a judgment there. I've decided to spend the winter there. That's one of the words, ways in which the, the verb Crino is used in the New Testament. Let's look at another tense in John 18. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him, Crino him, by your own law. There, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And so, essentially, the way that we're seeing this used here is in the sense of a court of law, in a judgment. And the third way we see the word crino used in the New Testament is, therefore, crino, nothing before the appointed time, but wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Therefore, crino, nothing before the appointed time. This is the form of judgment where we assume that we can do something that only God himself can do. How many of you are glad that you can't expose the motives of people's hearts around you? Or that you can't read them? Or that you don't know them? Or that you can't stand in judgment around them? You see, God doesn't say to us that we can't make decisions like I showed in the first example. He doesn't say that we can't decide what's right or wrong. And he doesn't say that we can't have court or legal systems. But what he does say is that we're not fit to judge one another in only the way that he is fit to judge people. And in our eagerness sometimes to uproot the weeds in the field, we quickly recognize that we are not qualified for the task. That only he is. You know, and we can start thinking to ourselves when we read something like this, you can start, you know, patting ourselves on the back, thinking, you know, I'm so grateful that I'm one of the weeds and I'm not one of the weeds. This is how, often how we kind of can pat ourselves on the back when we read a parable like this. But Jesus is not so gentle that he's always patting us on the back. But there's something here that stings the heart, I think, of every believer, that he's looking at each of us and he's saying that you too are someone who would like to see things purged. You too are people who come to me and say, can we uproot the weeds? But for now, let them grow together. You see, would people really like it if God were to ru rule the world directly and immediately so that our every thought and action were weighed, were, was weighed instantly and judged instantly and instantly punished in the scales of his absolute holiness? If that's what we'd want to sign up other people for, are we willing to sign up for that ourselves? That's the question we have to ask. You see, when we recognize how merciful that God's been to us, that can only affect the same mercy that we show to other people. In Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said it like this. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You see, this parable is about the delay of final judgment. But we do discern good. We do discern evil. There are some things that are right to avoid. There are some things that we do declare right or wrong. The courts have their duties to the public, but never do we have the right to assume the role of God over anyone. Because God will sort things out, and we can trust him. He's capable of doing this. He doesn't need our assistance. He doesn't need to hire a general manager, if I can say it like that, right? He's got this. And he'll sort out the wheat in the weeds. And we, we're not a part of that process. 
You know, I think about Daniel chapter 3, and I'm not going to read the story, but when, when, when he was thrown into the fire there, it didn't look like God was being faithful in that moment. It didn't look like things were right. He was in the middle of tension. He was in the middle of dealing with, with evil and corrupt and, you know, just injustice. And yet God still made things right in the end. And when the kingdom comes, it doesn't seem like everything is put to rights yet. And this would probably surprise the audience. But we can rest assured and have patience and take faith in God's work in the world that he will sort things out. We are unfit to do this, but God can, God will. You see, one of the central doctrines of Jesus' teaching in Matthew is that there is such a judgment in the end. And it is for this reason that Jesus can pervade our judgments and our anti-evil crusades. I read that at the beginning. Jesus believes at the end of history there will be a reckoning, and therefore he can deter our interim reckonings. And so we wait and we trust, and in the meantime, we make sure that in the middle of this, that we don't actually become offended at God for not acting which we see all the time happening in the Gospels. People got offended at Jesus all the time. Even John the Baptist's words, as he sent his messengers to God after, you know, God wasn't doing what he expected. God wasn't overthrowing the Pharisees like he expected. And he sends his messengers to Jesus, and and they ask him, are you the one we should expect, or is there someone else coming? And Jesus answers by telling all the amazing things that he's done. The sick are healed, the blind see, right? The good news of the word is being preached to all the nations. And here is before the words of a Matthew 11:6 in his answer ring true. Blessed is the person who is not offended by the kind of person I am. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The contemporary English version says it like this. God will bless everyone who doesn't reject me because of what I do. And so we can trust God and experience the kingdom in the midst of it all, and let me declare this to you this morning, how we live today matters. How we live today has huge implications on everything, even in the end. You see, the parable of the sower is meant to teach the church the main point of understanding faith, which is keep on sowing, keep on soaking in the good news, for despite all opposition to it, there will be a wonderful harvest. And he wanted the parable of the weeds to teach the church the corollary truth, of patient, nonviolent faith, which is, trust me, I will take care of the bad stuff now and at Judgment Day, but you must concentrate on being faithful to the good news today. You must, be con- you must concentrate on being faithful to living out the kingdom even right now. And so the danger of a parable like this sometimes is that we become so passive that we don't, we don't ever act we think to ourselves, well, you know, we don't have to do that. Hey, we don't have to do that. And, and we become so passive that we don't ever act. It's that we say, okay, no pulling weeds, fine. You know, we're just going to chill out. We're going to relax. God's going to take care of things later. But we still, that, 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 that's not the case. The New Testament um, declares to us that we still have work to do. We still have great work to do. How we live today, even in the midst of all this, still matters. You see, the news of the kingdom in a world that desperately needs it, we need to present that to the world. We continue to pray your will be done. We continue to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we as citizens of a new kingdom, we embody the message and the character of the king, and that king for us is Jesus. In Galatians 6, 9, it says this. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Jesus isn't telling his listeners to question their identity in this parable. 
He isn't throwing this at them and asking them, well, what are you? Wheats are weeds, per se. But if you are wheat, then you are expected to live in this world and within this world in a kingdom-minded way. Because evil does exist in our world, and our role is to be who we are as the kingdom. And the greater vision that Jesus paints for us as to what it is to live for the kingdom is that we will face struggle. We will face difficulties. But here and now is still a place for us to embody the message and good news of Jesus, even though it may not feel right all the time. And so even though we live among the weeds, and even though things don't always feel the way that we feel that they should, we trust that God will one day sort things out. And we reserve judgment, and we reserve vengeance, and we leave it to him. And we live as people embodying his message in the world today, even in the midst of the tension that we feel. And sometimes, as we all know, and I'll say it right now, that this is sometimes easier said than done. And yet in Hebrews, it says that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, a great group of people. In Hebrews 11, I call it the Hall of Faith, right? You could read through their stories and talk about what they did as they kept their eyes on Jesus. And in the next chapter, it says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of people who have gone before us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Friends, we set our eyes on him today. We look to him. We focus on him. We don't focus on the weeds. We don't set our eyes on them. They're there. They're present. We see them. We acknowledge them. But our focus needs to be on Jesus. And so let me ask a few questions this morning as we bring this to a close. In what way have you maybe sensed the weeds in your life? Where you've been upset, where you've been angry, where you've been hurt by them? Have you talked to God about them? Will you bring this to him? Will you allow God to speak to you on this? Another question I'll ask us this morning is, in what way can you live out the message of Christ, of loving God and loving people, even in the midst of the tension that you now experience? Maybe I'll just throw this practical at us. Maybe there's someone that you work with that you need to pray for. You need to ask God for help to love them. Maybe there's people who have wronged you. Maybe there's people who have general, genuinely wronged you and upset you. And you've spent more time trying to fix them, trying to judge them, being angry at them, and they've stolen your joy. And maybe God is bringing you back to forgiveness and love in that situation. Maybe you need to come before God this morning and ask for his help. I think we all need to do that. I think we'd all do well to do that. That as you live in a world where weeds are present, where things aren't as we want them to be, that he would be your help and that his love would continually fill you and refresh you even today. And so, as we close, as we think about this, may we not focus on weeds alone, but may we be people who seek first his kingdom, who seek first his righteousness, and allow and trust him that he will, he can take care of the rest. Amen? And with that, I lied to you. I'm going to let N.T. Wright have the final word on this today as we close, and then I'm going to close in prayer. But he says this. He says, Many Jews of Jesus' time spoke of God's compassion, delaying his judgment so that more people could be saved at the end. Jesus, followed by Paul and other early Christian writers, took the same view. 
Somehow Jesus wanted his followers to live with the tension of believing that the kingdom was arriving in and through his own work and that this kingdom would come, would fully arrive, not all in a bang, but through a process like slow growth of a plant or the steady leavening of a loaf. Friends, for now the wheat and the weeds grow together, but one day God will sort things out. But in the meantime, we have work to do. Amen? Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, for your word today and uh, for its ability to not only um, transform our lives, Lord God, but to change our thinking and to Lord, above all, make us more like you. And I just pray, God, uh, for each person here today, whatever we're facing, whatever weeds we're looking at, whatever uh, things we see um, that bring, bring difficulty into our life, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to see you in the midst of it all. And I pray, Lord, that you would just empower us to live for you in the midst of it all. And so each one of us, God, is in a different place this morning. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And above all, Lord Jesus, that you'd use your word, Lord God, to bring us closer to you today. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll ask everyone to stand. It's a good morning we have. We got to see some people declare their faith in baptism. Got to worship. We got to pray. We got to hear the word. And I want to leave you with a blessing as we leave today. If something struck you about this message and you'd, you'd love to chat with someone, as always, um, there'll be members of our, a member of our pastoral team at the cross over to this side of the room. I'll be there myself. Um, but in the ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands, and those who received a blessing did likewise. So if you'd like a blessing this morning, please extend your hands. And here it is for you today. Go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good and render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, honor everyone, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of God Almighty. And may the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always and lead you as you live amidst the tension. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Uh, we'll see you next week.